Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on YouTube or listen to us on iTunes, Amazon Prime, or Spotify. I forgot Spotify. Uh, please let us know how we're doing. We always invite feedback. You can reach me at Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Drop us a line and let us know how we are doing. I am very honored and pleased to have uh, with us today as our guest uh, the Vice President of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board, Don Collins. Mrs. Collins, thank you so much for coming to share with us today. Thank you. So let's jump right into it. Uh, I, I, I could start with, tell me your background, tell me your story. I want to talk about the fact that Today's paper says that the overwhelmed East Baton Rouge Parish School adds teachers uh, because of the virtual uh, school academy, that there's been a lack of teachers and vacancies uh, have, uh, you've had difficulty filling the vacancies. Can you shed any light on what's going on with that? Okay, well, um, and my grandson is in the virtual school, he's in, uh, he's five just made five uh september 26th yes, in kindergarten uh and uh we felt at the time that that was the safest due to pandemic yada 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 and so uh he's not he's not personally experiencing any confusion because the elementary schools are staffed fully staffed with ebr teachers the middle schools however is where the middle and high grades mm -hmm. is where we're having problems. Uh, we've had a long relationship. Well, this is not our first experience with the vendor proximity. Proximity, uh, 2017, 2018, HR came to us with there are some hard to fill subject areas. Like it's hard to fill chemistry, you know, your sciences, mm -hmm. your technical seats and so proximity offered hey while you working on a in-person live body we can have a certified teacher with all the credentials virtual so that's how we got started with our relationship with proximity uh, now with this idea of having proximity provides teachers for the school system yes okay. vir virtual teachers it's always okay. been virtual okay uh, and, but the relationship started prior to the pandemic right. and it was to fill teacher vacancies that in in subject areas that you tend to have a difficult time i just want to make sure that, that everybody understands yeah that, and I, I wanted to make sure i give that background before yeah. i then go into fully okay. answering your question all right uh so so we have had a relationship with proximity uh prior to the prior to the pandemic and it worked out fine because it wasn't like trove of teachers that we needed mm -hmm. um the dynamics at play now, and I shared some of these thoughts last night during the board meeting, was, is that we had an initial response to the pandemic, like all schools across the nation, 
there it worked relatively well of course something brand new is going to have some hiccups but it worked relatively well mm-hmm. what we did uh last school year when we came back was we we ended up with in person we had three options we had totally in person the child could be 100 percent in person mm-hmm. we had situations where and, and in the in-person situation you had like a the students were in person a certain number of days and then another cohort of students in that same classroom came the other days so that you can deal with your classroom size okay. and and accommodate social distancing needs okay all right and then we also had students who were totally online we had the ability to if a teacher needed to quarantine or if there was exposure in the classroom at a time where children were eventually shown to not be spreaders and and I don't know what you call it when and catchers Recipi- <laughs> thank yeah. you sir yeah. <laughs> you know where, where the concern of the pand- uh, COVID spread was not as bad for mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. last school year we had the ability that if there was uh, a known case in the classroom shut that class down for the time it physically shut the class down for the time needed get it clean mm-hmm. and then the teacher and the children who are not too sick to get online get online and they continue their lesson mm-hmm. well you know so that's how we completed last school year and it went relatively well we didn't hear a lot of pushback and it allowed and enabled people to uh, and some parents, excuse me, the third option was chose 100% virtual. Mm-hmm. It allowed families to choose what best fit them, and the enrollment was such that 20, about a third of our student population was virtual. So we're talking about, if I remember the numbers correctly, like 12,000 families mm-hmm. staying home the, the whole year mm-hmm. their, their their schedules and everything could accommodate that this year uh this new superintendent decided he wanted to try something different which you know that's happening all over the nation try something different from what you did the first time when you just had to respond mm-hmm. uh, one concern that needed to be resolved was in situations where teacher had to teach hybrid because there were students in the classroom that chose to stay home 100%, and then you had your in-person students. Well, that's a lot. And I agree. I had that concern from the beginning. I was like, okay, I have to keep up with what these kids are doing. Then I have to make sure Lil John, Susie, uh, Nathan are all paying attention on the screen. Do you need help on it? That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, this superintendent decided, well, let's expand the existing virtual school. So we have had the virtual school prior to, but it was limited in grades. It was middle to high, and so we needed to add elementary. Or might be the opposite. I forget which, because it was the enrollment was always very low. That's why we didn't uh, discuss that virtual school very often. When I say low, like I mean less than a hundred students prior to the pandemic. Yes, and so. Uh, so conceptually, your initial thoughts about it is, well, okay, makes sense. You have a tool already at your disposal. Why not? The issue has become, and it's part of the reason why we didn't do it last year and, and erred on the side of the hybrid model until we figured out something else was 
that we knew it would present a capacity issue. And mm -hmm. as I explained last night during the school board meeting, we are at a place because our interest in virtual and 100% virtual from parents for their, for you know, concerns about the pandemic was a third of our student population. So when you go to a 100% virtual school site separate, but and they stayed with their home school, everything was accommodated with their home school. Mm -hmm. All right. And the surveys over the summer said 300, maybe 600 students were interested. Well, but in a whole nother on a whole for a whole nother school site like you think about you think about starting an in-person brick and mortar school and you start with 600 kids mm -hmm. and you think about how many classrooms you need how many teachers well quite naturally and you're talking about in a matter of weeks maybe a month coming up with staffing a whole school mm -hmm. on top of that the delta variant hit and so then those that were willing to leave their home school and choose the the virtual school, the numbers exploded and doubled to we had thirteen hundred and they finally had to cap it because you already had a capacity issue from jump. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that's where we find ourselves. Uh now, you know, is an obvious problem. Some classes have not had a teacher since the beginning of the year. Uh some wanted to make uh, minimize what the problem, you know, how severe the problem is by saying, uh, because I made the point of what my, my colleague, one of my colleagues asked the question, well, tell us how bad it is from the superintendent and his team. Um, and so, you know, uh, of course, quite naturally, people will skirt around that. And it's understandable if it was me in the seat, in the hot seat, maybe <laughs> I would skirt around it, too. But at the end of the day, we have our obligation as a school system to deliver a certain number of minutes. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about a class subject that has not had a teacher or a sub since school started, then we have to figure something out. And so it's pretty bad. Yeah. You know, the answer to the question is it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and if anybody's wondering, because it was mentioned during a board meeting as well, and it's a, a reasonable assumption, unless you look at a few things, the school, the brick-and-mortar schools have some vacancies as well. But when EBR handles our vacancies, we, especially if we know it's going to be a hard-to-fill position like a chemistry or et cetera, then we, we work to put long-term subs in those seat, in, mm -hmm. in those classrooms, and if nothing else, we got we have a person, a substitute in there with a lesson plan, et cetera. So instruction is being met. Right. Might not be the instruction you would get with that permanent teacher, but there's instruction, effective sure. instruction. And so the difference is, as I asked proximity last night, Nate, they they admitted to is when these vacancies that you can't fill in the sixth through twelfth grades. Do you have a substitute pool? Do you have long-term subs? And the answer was no, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Occasional subs, but he could not say with integrity on the mic that they have a long-term sub program. Well, let me ask a different question okay. uh, along the same line. Okay. Uh, the teachers that they do provide, mm -hmm. are they certified 
according to East Baton Rouge Parish School Board standards? Now, I'll admit that F is the same circumstances as our previous relationship with proximity. The answer is yes, because I do remember asking that when we voted to approve that, okay? okay? I'm assuming it's the same circumstances. Okay. I know for sure in the elementary schools because it's our teachers, then the answer is yes. Okay. So uh, if, if they are having difficulty in filling uh, these teacher slots, then what's the alternative uh, that the school board is considering or have you all rendered a decision? Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't at the board well, meeting no, last I mean, night. <laughs> so. It's only so much time in a day. <laughs> yes. And I appreciate uh, seeing you at the uh, Faith Partnership breakfast that morning that the district did for pastors in the district. Um, so my answer is um, it has to be revisited. I'll be honest and say that um, on my end, I have been watching it play out. I've seen the emails from concerned parents Mm -hmm. documenting that my child still doesn't have yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing the reports provided based on those questions, the superintendent has not presented other options. And when I say I'll be honest, usually my response is, let me hurry up. Come on, let's meet. Let's figure it out. But I do, I, like, I'm that kind of personality, but I do have to catch myself because my legal purview is budget and policy. Mm-hmm. And I can communicate my thoughts, but I'm not in a position to say what I understand to be a better <laughs> like why don't you just let every school do their own virtual mm-hmm. right uh, and part of my hesitancy and I will uh, and I'm just a very very transparent and very candid <laughs> uh, part of my hesitancy is that recommending something and having having faith that it's going to be implemented with fidelity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so then my hesitancy comes from, okay, recommend, hopefully they get it, and then they do it. But, you know, and so then on a purely emotional level, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult um, situation to address. Let's back up just a bit. Okay. All, all along the same lines. Uh-huh. Since COVID, mm-hmm. since March of 2020, mm-hmm. in your estimation, and I'm sure it's a, it's just a guesstimate, I'm not asking you for scientific numbers, how far behind have East Baton Rouge Parish students fallen in their educational uh, pursuits and their educational achievements uh, in the last 18 months? Well, I would say just like all children across the nation, whether public or private, is a whole new animal that you have to figure out. Uh, and so then I'm sure many of them are behind. Even those that are uh, more affluent are not well where they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, and I don't necessarily know how to quantify it, um, you know, I would say 
significantly behind because unless you uh, have a parent who is present that's able to, whether by time or by uh, academic ability, mm -hmm. be able to help that student navigate, um, then that child is experiencing some loss in a virtual setting. Mm -hmm. I'm in law school in the evenings. I graduate May 25th. I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. And so um, and so, I take all my classes online. I'm like, honey, save me the drive time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it, but it works for us. You know, a Zoom online uh, setting works very well, at least for me as an adult, because I can still interact. I'm still able to, you know, hey. But then when you're talking about kids, right. yeah, it's a whole different ball game. And I, matter of fact, my grandson, who is virtual right now, he has the family support system mm -hmm. who, you know, keep him on track and all this other, and, and et cetera. But even he is clear that, you know, I'm tired of looking at this. And he, and very vocal. I'm, Gigi, I, I'm tired of school right now, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> well, I, I read something or, or saw a chart uh -huh. uh, that suggested that students are a minimum of two years behind that okay and, and I didn't know whether you agreed with that or if you thought it, it was sounds worse than that or oh because my, my question would be how much confidence should I have in a high school graduate uh, for 2022 mm -hmm. being proficient in the basics uh, if I'm trying to hire him for it, if, if I'm looking for a prospective worker at my business, how much confidence should I have in, in this person's diploma post-COVID? I think you could have reasonable confidence, reasonably relative to the pre-COVID situation mm -hmm. in this sense. I mean, if a child... And I, sh I reshared an Instagram post that uh, Senator Barrow had on her page about, you know, the K through 12 experience pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. And so uh, their their ability to have a normal, a normal experience, like mm -hmm. what the new normal is going to look like. It's not going to look like the old, but what we consider the old normal. Mm -hmm. And so the choice said, you know, kindergarten never had a normal year, you know, first grade, second grade. Uh, never had a normal year, uh, and et cetera. I think that's the chart that I'm referring to. Oh, okay, so, okay, yeah. oh, okay, all uh, right, okay. Yeah. Okay, so when you frame it like that, yes. 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 Uh, okay, so since we're talking about the same chart, and okay, so even in that, though, um, my and my grandson is of some amount of exception, children like Eden had he's in kindergarten but he had a normal year because he was in pre-k three and four mm -hmm. and so he had a normal experience um in terms of your reference to your uh graduate that's graduating in 2021-22 I think your confidence is relative to what you would have expected if the pandemic hadn't happened and these learning changes mm -hmm. hadn't happened you know a child who's at Baton Rouge High or, 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 or what have you, or Liberty High or, or Scott Laville's engineering program, they going through COVID. They, okay, I have to get my laptop. I have to, you know, if they 
if they were already there, then they already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there some loss? Yes, but it's not hard for them to catch up, or it's not hard for them to adjust. Uh, you can have confidence in their ability to come to a job. Those that were already struggling, it's even more of a struggle. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you know, you y'all you you're dealing with higher truancy rates or or, or, or things of that nature, and so. Uh, I would say, generally speaking, it has exacerbated complications that were already present for those who were already struggling. Mm-hmm. Is law enforcement sensitive to the struggles that the school system is having uh, with keeping children in front of laptops and computer screens as opposed to being out on the streets? Uh, is there a truancy problem in East Spanish Parish uh, post-COVID that is greater than than the truancy problem that existed pre-COVID? My natural assumption is yes. The numbers, however, I think have to be looked at and studied because it's a matter of how is it now being documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's the most I want to say on it because I've not that particular piece of it, because I've been focusing on other pieces, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have the numbers to say with confidence is absolutely such and such. But do you have some information? Uh, I have thoughts, but okay. but but all I have are, are, thoughts. are thoughts. Yeah, uh, I, um, it, it just makes sense to me. It knowing, does. Knowing what I was like when I was in high school, uh, if I'm left at home for six hours uh-huh. and I'm supposed to be on the laptop. For six mm-hmm. hours, it might end up being two uh-huh. <laughs> and, and four hours. And, and I hear anecdotal stories, <clears throat> stories of that, you know. Uh, but again, numbers wise, I haven't looked at it. Mm-hmm. But I, I wrote that down because I do need to. I do need to dig into that. So, okay, let's let's turn the page a little bit. All right. How did the school board arrive at the conclusion mm-hmm. that it was okay? to pick someone to redraw the district lines who finished third in the qualifications uh, that were asked for by the school board. The school board set up parameters and put out a, a request for proposal based on those parameters. And the person who finished first was not selected. The person who finished second was not selected, but the person who finished third was. What went into the thinking of your colleagues that would allow them to say it was okay for us to establish all of this criteria, but then pay no attention to the criteria that we established and pick this guy, who apparently the majority of them wanted anyway? I mean, the majority wanted, I mean, he got it, so... Yeah. And that apparently that he got it. Um, well, I, was, I, was, I was trying yeah, to yeah. couch it as best. And I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to couch my response <laughs> okay. because I have to work with folks to make sure you know, don't don't mess me up because you mad at how I feel about the country. <laughs> 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 but um I, it was yeah, I mean it, it was uh, so give some more detail on what you just Well made. for me, redistributing is a major thing. It not, is not just at the school board level, at every level, yes. judgeships, metro yes. council, yes. Uh, state legislature, mm-hmm. state senate, all of that 
to me, it's very important. Mm -hmm. It sets the table for the next 10 years Mm -hmm. uh, and what politics in this state is going to look like over the next 10 years. Yes. Uh, I get concerned. I, I know that this is an ongoing issue with those other entities. Nothing mm-hmm. has been decided. But for the school board, mm-hmm. it's already been decided. We're going to use this guy. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, uh, he's the same guy that they used 10 years ago. Uh, and so, well, uh, mm-hmm. if you messed it up 10 years ago, uh-huh. then what what makes me confident in the fact, I'm using confidence a lot today, <laughs> what, what, what makes me confident in the fact that you're going to get it right uh-huh. This time, mm-hmm. by the way, you're white and mm-hmm. uh, the others who scored better than you, scored higher than you, mm-hmm. are black. So mm-hmm. so it's hard for me not to see a racial component. Uh-huh. I'm not claiming racism, but uh-huh. a racial component that went into the choice that was made. That's my thought on it. I mean, it's kind of. So, yeah, I mean, um Unfortunately, whether we like it or not, race is a huge piece of the whole entire process. I mean, the nature of redistricting is racial in and of itself. Um, and so when you have somebody, and I, I'm, I'm using numbers for illustration purposes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact scoring. But to, to, to go back to some of your details, when you have um, embarked upon a contract review a proposal an RFP process that you didn't have to take you could have simply the the uh, the rules allowed for one company to be recommended and presented to the board and voted on uh, we stole and, sh- and we chose instead to implement an RFP process so they did process. not have to do an RFP process Mm-mm. They chose to do an RFP process. Mm-hmm. And when the RFP process that they chose to do mm-hmm. did not produce the results that they expected or wanted to have produced, mm-hmm. they said, that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll throw that out and we'll revert back to the fact that we have the right to do that. And Was uh, that the thinking that went into this? I, I cannot speak for others. Uh, but I'll say the irony of it is that most of the committee, and don't make me pull out all the names, I just know when I looked at the committee makeup, I was like, well, most of the committee was white, mm-hmm. and they they scored the black firm the highest. And we're not talking about a uh, two-three-point two, difference. We're mm-hmm. talking about 20-something point difference out of about six. I think the the highest score was 640 something again for illustrative illustrative purposes Mm -hmm. only um i don't quote me on the exact scoring numbers but 640 or so then the next one down was um 620 or uh 630 something but the one that was chosen was like 620 something so i mean we're talking about and and the the highest scoring one had uh 40 years experience and it was I, I have a crude sense of humor so I'm going to say you know it was kind of cute mm-hmm. that one of the people who scored gave them less points on experience when they had more experience than all <laughs> <laughs> and, and it kind of is like and 
I said it during the board meeting, uh, not on the day of the vote, but on the day that the process was reviewed, I said during the board meeting. And I mentioned, I said, and my uh, colleague Evelyn Wood Jackson uh, uh, wanted to address the process as well. Uh, and she, she was pointing out a few things, and then after she did, I said, well, let's just call it like it is. And I said, you know, and one of the points that I made was that, you know, I let enough, even though this company, in terms of if we were going to follow the RFP process that we didn't have to go through, it, they're black and they scored the highest, which goes to the the, the what what do we tend to say as people of color? We have to, we, the black tax. We have we have to work harder and yeah. <laughs> fight harder, and, and they did because it showed in the points. And uh, how cute it was that when you look at the number breakdown, even though they were cheated out of the experience uh, by a couple of points by one of them. Uh, then they still had they the still highest, scored and but they still didn't else. get the contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any idea? It, it's not essential, but I'm just curious. Do you have any idea how much the contract was worth? How, how much this person is going to get paid to do this job? I don't recall the numbers. No. I, I, to be honest, I don't recall the numbers because we vote on so many numbers. That's all right. I, I'll I'll find out. All right. I mean, I, I'll, I'll get it out. for you. I'll get it. I mean, and, I'll and, go to and, the email and get yeah, it for you. And, and I'll post. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm good at posting things. All right. All right. Like, like that. Um, so I have several questions about that. Uh, how is it that the school board got so far out in front of this when everybody else is still in the organizing stage of of selecting someone? It sounds like to me, seems mm -hmm. like to me, mm -hmm. that people already had a plan in mind as to who they wanted and how they wanted it done, and they wanted to quietly be way out in front of everybody else so that by the time the public is really turning their attention to this, mm -hmm. uh, the school board, uh, the powers that be within the school board could say, well, we've, we've already done that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's taken care of. That's my assessment of it. Okay. I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. But no, and I, I, but I appreciate the words coming out of your mouth because you, uh, you have more experience than I do in a sense of looking at how I've, I've in my adulthood, in my political life, have experienced one prior redistricting. Mm -hmm. But my folk, you know, but you have experienced paying attention to several different redistrictings in comparison. And so then you do have a good deal of insight. And, uh, you know, but hearing what you're saying, I mean, it, it does sound, sound likely, uh, again, uh, Pastor, I'm not trying to say so much that when it comes to my lines, <laughs> I just get all jacked up, okay? But, but, Well, but. that leads me to another question. Uh, okay. <laughs> because I asked this of the superintendent. I, I had a meeting with the superintendent the other day. Uh, mm -hmm. Me and colleagues of mine, Prophetic Voices, oh, uh, okay. went to his office, and, and we had a meeting. And one of the questions I asked was, what is the appeals process Oh. for school board redistricting mm -hmm. as opposed to the state legislature. I know that the governor mm -hmm. uh, has the ability to veto mm -hmm. redistricting lines if he finds them to be biased mm -hmm. or unfair in any way, shape, or form. And I asked the superintendent, mm -hmm. 
uh, does the governor hold the same veto power over the school board redistricting? He did not know. And mm. uh, so I'm asking you, mm. who, to whom do we turn? Once the lines are, are, are put out and, and the board says these are the lines that we want to accept, is there an appeals process in place for those of us in the public who might look at the lines and say that they're that that they're skewed in the wrong direction so my basic understanding is yes yes what are those details like this is my first rodeo on this side of the mm -hmm. uh, table being a decision maker trying to finagle the process in in my right to do so as one of the board members part of what I intend to do and I just last night had emailed I had asked that the uh, in the September meeting so last month oh, about a month ago I had asked at the board meeting what's our timeline for our process going forward so the public can know mm -hmm. um, and then I know you know it's not on the it wasn't on the agenda last night and so I went ahead and emailed and in my capacity as a board member to say I, I want an agenda item I said this is my official request for a timeline to be on the next meeting so I've done that uh, my intention is to work with uh, the law center and those who have experience uh, mm -hmm. not only in the law but s specifically with redistricting mm -hmm. uh, because I realize this being my like a general understanding of redistricting is going to absolutely not be sufficient <laughs> and I need all all of the support that I can get right. uh, in terms of how I'm going to personally engage the public regardless of what whoever does uh, and to go back and answer part of your question, um, what is it about the EBR situation versus the other gov governmental bodies who have not yet chosen a contract, who have not, you know, um, the the uh, spoken sentiment. So go ahead and get this done by the end of this year. The law. While nobody's looking. I. Well, no, that that that's my editorial comment. <laughs> right, While hey, nobody's looking, I, okay. And legally, though, you're aware that we don't we don't have to do it until uh, a month or six weeks or so, right, before qualifying. Yes. Uh huh. When everybody's going to be looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so that you know, that's where we are uh, in terms of um, what what I plan to do with my constituents is um, have some some meetings where I, I hear from some of them and say, hey, look, this, you know, first get wrap my head around what would make sense talking with uh, experts at uh, Southern Law Center and mm -hmm. then, okay, getting some, being more public about, mm -hmm. about what I'm doing. And so, um, so, yes. How is it that a school system that is overwhelmingly African-American, 80% mm -hmm. of your students or thereabouts are African-American, mm -hmm. overwhelmingly impoverished mm -hmm. African-Americans, is still managed by a majority white school board? Now that to me is somewhat of a rhetorical question because I know the answer to it. Mm -hmm. It's because of how the lines have been drawn. Mm -hmm. And that's why redistricting is so important Vitally this time important. 
around. It does not make sense mm -hmm. that an African-American school system mm -hmm. is managed by a Caucasian majority board. Mm -hmm. And somebody's going to say, well, they live in the parish, too. Yes, they do. But, but they, they, they have never come to us. They, they have opted out <laughs> of the school system. Uh, uh, and the only time they want to come back in is yes. with a charter, which is a de facto private school mm -hmm. at government expense. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so it's difficult for me to, to, to look at this and say that there's anything fair or equitable about the way that this is being done. Mm -hmm. And then there are certain names that are on the school board mm -hmm. uh, that have been on the school board for some mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it is that, that I mean, don't you guys have term limits? Uh, so, uh, yes, we How do. does Jill Dyson still <laughs> remain on the school board? So she was on the board at the time it was implemented. And the rule is they they were grandfathered in, they were grandfathered in. So the term limit count didn't start until. So next time, so she and I, well, no, I have. Let's see. But she can run again. Yes, this last. With, with, with all the time. Yes. With all the time years, she has been on the school board, she can run she again. Yes. <laughs> Connie Bernard's been on the school board for a long yes. time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just find it interesting that they have written the rules in such a way that mm -hmm. they can maintain their positions mm -hmm. uh, While over a protracted are period. While yes. changing, yes. and they know that that's the trend, and it's always the trend for demographics to change in the way that they do. Yeah. Well, there's another question that I want to ask, mm -hmm. uh, and it had to do with your previous uh, superintendent. Uh, Warren Drake, mm -hmm. who lied to me okay. uh, in my face uh -huh. when I asked about schools uh, being built in prospective St. George, when okay. when he was running around the parish promoting the mm -hmm. school tax measure, uh -huh. which I was in favor of because uh -huh. schools need to be funded. Uh -huh. uh, but my question to him uh, was, was there a plan to build any facilities in what is under the prospect of becoming St. George. Mm -hmm. And he looked me in the eye mm -hmm. and said, no buildings will be built in prospective St. George. George. Okay. Well, currently there's at least one building that I'm aware of uh -huh. that is uh, scheduled mm -hmm. uh, to be built in prospective St. George. Mm -hmm. I got a problem with St. George. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I have several problems with uh -huh. St. George. I don't need to review all, all of that uh -huh. just yet, although I might just for <laughs> the fun of it. But uh, what is the thought process within the school board about building a building that in five years more than likely will no longer belong to, his, to the East Baton Rouge Parish school system? Because so, St. George is going to happen, it, mm -hmm. whether it happens today or five years from now. It's gonna, once all the court proceedings are done, mm -hmm. St. George is going to happen, and then they're going to come after all of these Resources. school buildings. Yeah. Uh, so what, what goes into the thinking of, 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 of your colleagues mm -hmm. that that's okay? Okay. So regarding Superintendent Drake 
and sometimes yes and i and, and he and i have a, a great relationship he he would make my head hurt sometimes help me jesus regarding to what he said now if he said there will be no building he overspoke i think he couched it he said at this time there are no plans okay they do the couch thing uh, what i will say is behind the scenes he was absolutely resistant to get to using language and the language doesn't guarantee that the building will absolutely be in the St. George area. Mm-hmm. I know Ms. Uh, board member Dyson uh, was very vocal and some others about they wanted something that was going to explicitly be in that area mm-hmm. and he refused to go in that direction. Uh, nor did she have the votes to get it amended for it to go in that direction, despite it being a 5-4 board. Because it's obviously what it is. Uh, and some people might play games, but they don't like to be obvious about the games they play. <laughs> um, and so, for example, the property that was more recently chosen to be in the southern region, mm-hmm. which includes and does not include parts of St. George, we looked at property that was in, was out, and was adjacent. I voted, the, the property that ended up getting voted on off the Segan interstate uh, exit is, uh, is in, but it's tangential to my understanding. Mm-hmm. So then it's like. Keyword was in. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We we did that vote early, early last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so yes, I voted no because it's like no. Can we get something that is not in? Mm-hmm. You know why do we? I'm not. And and I guess for some of them, the I the the usual assumption is made. Okay, well people on the the more. People who are more affluent pay more in taxes, so it might be in the St. George lines, but we pay for it anyway. I think, you know, that's the sentiment that I perceive, whether it's true or not, I think that's how they look at it. Okay. Um, People who are more affluent pay pay more in taxes. Matter of fact, I used to hear that a lot from legislators when I used to do advocacy work at the state capitol before I got on the school board. From a percentage basis... People who are more affluent pay far less in taxes based upon their overall income. Absolutely. I don't know what moron came up with the idea that you're paying more in taxes. That's what they tell themselves. That's how they justify. That's how some justify uh, why they do what they do. Keep going. I, 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 I just had to respond yeah, to and you're because absolutely, that, uh-huh. that's a bold-faced lie. It is. It is. It is. And we and 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 poor poor people or poorer people may not pay as much in property tax, but those regressive sales tax taxes. Nobody pays property taxes. We we, we don't ask corporations to pay property taxes. We we I tip everybody out of. Uh, property taxes, mm-hmm. and we have the most regressive uh, sales mm-hmm. tax system in the nation, mm-hmm. in the United States of America, <laughs> one of the poorest places in the country, has mm-hmm. the most regressive sales tax mm-hmm. uh, 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 program in the country. Poor in terms of personal wealth 
absolutely rich in terms of corporate wealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they don't pay taxes. Nope. And then they get mad at you when when they come to your board meeting saying they want another tax break because they have so many thousand staff. And you're in the middle of facing, uh, I'm referring to that uh, to that ITIP that we voted down uh, two, three years ago with mm-hmm. Exxon. Uh, and they tell you about the employees that they have, and they get them on the mic and say, I need my job. <laughs> like the job would be a danger anyway. At the same time that you're telling them, I have 6,000 staff. <laughs> Come at me with that. Do you care about their jobs? <laughs> Everybody's screaming and hollering, and, I, and I'm happy that Amazon has come uh-huh, uh-huh. To, to Baton Rouge. That, that's, that's good. People mm-hmm. are going to get jobs, so forth and so on. But Amazon don't pay no taxes. True. And, and, uh-huh. and in fact, there are news articles all over the place. There's mm-hmm. a plethora of news articles that lament the fact that mm-hmm. Amazon pays mm-hmm. no taxes. Zero dollars. So, so, yes. so, so when we look at Amazon mm-hmm. coming, mm-hmm. that's not a savior. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. not at all. Now it's better than a empty cartel, uh, right. and, and it is better than you know. So they're saying they're coming with fifteen dollar hour jobs, which unfortunately in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is oh wow, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but I mean, they're inv- there's it's nothing, you know, for them to pay fifteen or more because they, like you say, they're not they're not investing with tax dollars. And at the end of the day. Pay taxes, don't pay taxes. If you're going to form an independent school district, mm-hmm. taxes aren't going to be coming to the school system mm-hmm. anyway. Oh, it'll bankrupt. Uh, uh, it, 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 it'll go to the independent school district mm-hmm. of St. George. George. Yes. Now, I've lived long enough to have watched this happen with the Baker school system, mm-hmm. with the Zachary school system, okay. with the Central mm-hmm. school system. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see it happen again mm-hmm. with St. George, where... We just give facilities uh-huh. to these. They they don't. The the these cities didn't pay for those no uh, school facilities. Correct. They they, they, they yeah. were given to them. Uh-huh. And St. George is operating under the assumption uh-huh. that they are going to be given, given uh, they Woodlawn they are High School, Woodlawn Middle, yes. Woodlawn Elementary, yes. Southeast. Mm-hmm. Elementary and this brand new school that they're about to build, uh-huh. that, that 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 in five years is going to be in the independent school district mm-hmm. of, uh, of of St. George. I don't have a problem with them leaving mm-hmm. if they want to leave. By all means, mm-hmm. leave. Just pay your fair share. Pay what you owe. On your way out <laughs> yes. the door. Yeah, because it's gonna absolutely bankrupt the the remaining school system, which is oddly enough one of the, one of the reasons why the chamber. The Baton Rouge Chamber is against it. Like, every once in a while, you agree with your enemies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, um, yeah. So, when when the school board has these sessions, and I imagine that you all have conversations that the public are not necessarily privy to, how, how is this justified? Which part? St. George. Oh. And building in that area, choosing this particular. I mean, there's a whole lot of land in, 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 in East Baton Rouge Parish that you no, could have chosen. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, there was no justification given. Um, I voted no, and I said, hey, I don't know. And by the way, but, why do we keep building in flood zones? Um, you know, you, you have maps. Hmm? 
talking about cartographers a little while ago. Uh-huh. You, you have maps that uh-huh. show areas that are prevalent mm-hmm. for flooding. Mm-hmm. Why do we keep building residences, mm-hmm. schools, mm-hmm. businesses in flood zones? Because we have economic development white flight syndrome. Okay, and that's all. That's that's what we have left to go to, or that's what they have left to go to. Okay, they developed over here, and oh, that's not good enough. Y'all can have it, <laughs> and we gonna let it decline. So let's develop over here, and so now you have what you have left. Instead of just keep, instead of the model being to build up and maintain was built, I, the model profits more off of continuous white flight and now you have it, it to the extent that folks even willing to run into flood zones it doesn't make sense to me but that the parish ends up having to bail them out of mm-hmm. that my you know it's my government dollars my, my, my tax dollars have to bail you out of because you chose to build mm-hmm. in a flood zone mm-hmm Okay. Um, when the superintendent was here, uh, okay. I, I had him here as, as, as my guest a couple of weeks back. I asked this question. Is it fair to constantly compare an 83 school system, mm-hmm. which the East Baton Rouge Parish School System is, mm-hmm with a seven school system, mm-hmm. which is what Zachary is, or mm-hmm. a four school system, which is what Central is, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Uh, constantly, we see these headlines uh, that say that this, the, the, the Zachary school system is one of the best mm-hmm. in the state, mm-hmm. and the East Baton Rouge Parish school system, by comparison, mm-hmm. uh, fails miserably with regard to test scores and what have you. Well, one has seven schools uh-huh. and one has 83 uh-huh. schools. That, to my way of thinking, is not a mm-hmm. fair comparison. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are I'll take it further. And there's some of the links I want to share with you once I finish viewing yours so we can discuss both of ours. So I have been doing a series of roundtables in um, July and August. I said, let me focus on specifically public ed because I changed different topics uh, but specifically public ed Mm -hmm. and uh, I was talking with this brother Keith Benson he's a teachers union rep in uh, Camden New Jersey small school system but they getting hit hard with uh, privatization stuff as well and uh, so we talked about the whole narrative in the first place and how the narrative of failing schools began uh, because I want to, wanted a way in which to try to start educating community on the basic understanding of stop letting people tell you you trash. <laughs> you know, the person that defines the terms is the one that's in power. Mm-hmm. They told you you trash, and you said you letting these people tell you you trash. So when you talk about the narrative of failing schools in public ed. It started in the in the in the eighties. Uh, I want to say the Monaghan report. That's not a report. Mm. Nation at risk, 
right? We, I, I wanted to say the Monaghan Report because it had the equivalent impact, right? Um, so Nation at Risk, Ronald Reagan, report of our schools are just terrible, they're in trouble, yada, yada, and the basis that they use were SAT scores. And they were saying that, and I'm going to generalize because I don't want to misspeak, okay, because uh, I don't remember exact details, but they, they based this whole concept of failing schools on SAT scores and how the decade or so prior, there were lo higher passing rates of the SAT than, uh, than they were at that moment. What they failed to tell you was around the same time, a whole lot more working class people had access to colleges and needed to take the SAT score. We already know when it comes to these standardized tests that it's uh, the correlation between uh, living standards and socioeconomic standards are reflected in your score, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. They don't say that. They just say, look how bad the numbers have gone from this period to that period. And they use that as the basis to push the standardization, um, the standardization and the accountability, and, the, and that grew into the accountability uh, movement where we then, uh, you get your no child left behind. based, And they use this fluff language that, I have to remember this is a church, podcast <laughs> but it makes me so angry but they use this civil rights language they use this language they couch it and they dress it up it's the wolf in sheep's clothes and they mm -hmm. dress it up as you know education is a new civil rights movement look at these poor children that aren't doing well and and every child can learn and who in their right mind want to say or who with with no with, with compassion wants to say that every child cannot learn I'm not going to say every child can I learn, but the way that they choose to implement these things is they make these ridiculous goals and they keep increasing the bar in such a way that, for example, in a state like Louisiana who has constantly failed its children, <clears throat> instead of uh, the practice of education, rising while you're also raising the standards on the children and the staff teaching the children. We always fall short. It's always subpar in, in concept and implementation. So when Common Core came down, they just threw it out mm -hmm. and said, teachers, teach these children. Uh, this, that, and the third. No, no professional development, no time to plan, no time to wrap their way around this quote-unquote new pedagogy. Meanwhile, there's also this privatization movement that's saying teachers don't need to be as credentialed as you say. They don't need retirement. They don't need, as a matter of fact, teachers don't need to be credentialed, and they're not all that good anyway. Like that's you, So you got the narrative of teachers aren't worth anything. So you now people don't even recognize teachers as professionals, the professionals they are. Like remember back when? the teacher was the bomb.com in our community. Like, you know, like of someone of high stature. Right. Um, at the same time, you're also lessening the credentials of those over the teachers. For example, it's on the agenda that they didn't get a chance to finish voting because it was all out crazy at the last Bessie board meeting. <laughs> Um, and they had to shut it down. But on the agenda was a vote to decrease the credentials of your local superintendent, 
and the teachers as well. Well, how are you going to keep asking the students to perform higher and reach a higher level of attainment, but the people over them are less and less qualified? It doesn't work, no. it, and it's common sense. Um, and so, but where, why do they want to do it? It fuels two things. It fuels privatization in two ways. One, it, it helps to perpetuate the narrative of schools failing because you're putting people in the classroom or you're trying to get people in the classroom that have a lower ability. Mm-hmm. And you have people over them who have very little clue. Another way, so by, by virtue of that alone, you're going to keep driving the narrative of failing schools, but then on top of that, they, people who are into privatizing love that concept because I can convince you so-and-so with zero classroom experience or maybe one-year classroom experience, but I put you through this leadership program, and, and, and it's the business model because the public entities never know what to do. Right. <laughs> like, they're always incompetent. Right. <laughs> right? And the business model is where is that, right? And so I can convince you, someone who has very little practical experience in a classroom, to know what it takes to educate a child or to, to effectively manage a team to educate a child. I can convince you that you don't need this, that, and the third. I can convince you that this contract is going to come save the day or that contract is going to come save the day. And none of it is effective. And it all continues to perpetuate the myth of failing schools based on a faulty premise on purpose uh, so that, okay, but we must need another contract because that one didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, We must need to close this school down because that didn't work Mm -hmm. instead of simply getting an effective leader with mm-hmm. adequate experience and strong management skills mm-hmm. versus closing the school. So then another way you can privatize is charter that building out and folks make money off of land and your tax dollars. Meanwhile, they actually have the audacity to it's the next civil rights movement. It's the it's education is a civil reading is a civil. I had an argument with a lady. She wanted to talk about the science of reading, and you could tell it was just propaganda. And I did some research because I said, "Some you you going too hard on this system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you going mm-hmm. too hard. It's mm-hmm. not good." And uh, a lot of this they're hearing in, ch- in churches, where, yeah. where, where where they go to worship has a lot to do yeah. with their thinking, with regard to. Uh, public versus private versus yeah. charter versus voucher yeah. education, which is why I got a problem with all these Negroes who go to white folks' churches uh, uh, because they're, they're not just being taught, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah. They're being taught how to think mm-hmm. about things like public education yes. and uh, public services yes. and uh, their neighborhoods and, yes. and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 they come out with evangelical zeal. Yes. But they are 100% wrong yes. on the facts of everything that they're saying. Yes. Yes. Very true. Um, and even amongst... Um, not black... Well, yeah, black philanthropy... Um, Black caucuses. Remember when um, SLCC, mm-hmm. when uh, Reginald Pitcher was over it, and he was like, we need to boycott. I forget what incident. It was before Alton Sterling. It was something else that happened there. Mm-hmm. He was like, we need to boycott. And bless his heart, he mentioned Walmart. Mm-hmm. 
Next thing you know, he was no longer. <laughs> but that's because the National was getting money from Walton Foundation. Absolutely. And so then it's like, especially as people of color, it's very difficult unless you're in the middle of it and you, you know, but the average citizen average community member you know they're going to work they're making sure the kids do the homework or what have you and it's hard to keep up with who is really being honest with the community you know um i was uh even me as a law student there was this uh uh institute named after thurgood marshall i won't give the exact institute name because just whatever but it's named after thurgood marshall so you think if I get a, a, a fellowship with these people, or, you know, a scholarship through this, you know, bam, because it's third good Marshall. And they just put a name on some neoliberal foolishness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the black compromise, uh, and I've not been at the state capitol in a, in a minute advocating, uh, but at the time of the uh, payday lenders. And uh, Together mm-hmm. Baton Rouge, Together Louisiana was organizing. And then you look up and you like, what's going on with the black caucus? Well, black folks, elected officials, it's hard for us to raise money in comparison, okay, uh, to, 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 to white folks. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, our, our friends, fam- you know, the, those that you would tap into, like friends, family, support systems who might donate uh their funds are are limited in comparison too so by virtue of that it's hard to raise money and so then quite naturally if the payday lending folks say hey you know then oh well look we can do this program and that program or we can push this legislative initiative but when it comes time to deal with payday lending you just yeah you know and 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 it was an eye-opener for some because you you uh you would think the natural, I mean, the natural allegiance would be to say, hey, you're right, it's predatory, and we need to shut this out of our community. Absolutely. Matter of fact, let's figure out how to get our banking system together. If other folks don't want to lend, you know, let's can, work with Liberty Bank or Liberty or whoever. That's right. And because moneyed people have figured, long figured out that if they, if they line pockets, and it, it, you know, it's it's not as simple as somebody straight out sold out, like you know. But it's that they've created a need, uh, and um, and if people are not careful when they over foundations or when they over organizations, then they kind of get, you know, they sacrificing. Not all money is good money. Absolutely, I agree. Um, I'd rather put some pennies together and and make it. <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, you know. One final uh, subject, because uh, I'm I'm well over my hour. With oh. you. I promised you an hour, and, and we're well past that at this point. Uh-huh. Um, charter schools. Uh-huh. Uh I, I mentioned it tangentially, but we really haven't talked about charter schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, the school board was asked to approve. Uh, charter uh, a set of charter schools you only approved one I believe mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. came to you you only approved one and even your school board president uh, David Tapman mm-hmm. who in the past has been in favor mm-hmm. of charter schools asked the question how many more charter schools I'm, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. how, many, how many more charter schools are, are we going to develop mm-hmm. in East Baton Rouge I, I think it's a good question mm-hmm. do, do, you, do you have an idea of how many more 
charter schools uh, we're going to allow in East Baton Rouge Parish. I know that charter schools are the, the baby of the Bessie Board uh, and the baby of Lobby mm -hmm. and the baby of a couple of other entities mm -hmm. out there, but how many more charter schools are we going to allow to exist in East Baton Rouge Parish School as System? As many as they can campaign and get folks in the seat that's going to vote for them. That's uh, until there's no more money to tap out of the system. They'll pretend and say, we don't want y'all to be the next New Orleans, but if they can have it, they will take it. And the, the uh, you know, why are charter schools a problem? Um, because at the end of the day, no matter how you slice it, it's pulling already under-resourced schools it's pulling resources, okay? Um, and so you cannot simultaneously say, I want more resources for my schools and then turn around and give the same resources away to other people to do as good or nine times out of 10 worse than what you were doing. Uh, when if you would have just had the resources to push into your schools in the first place, you could have lifted up your own boat. Uh, and some people have the sentiment of, well, you know, White folks make us. White folks make money like that. Why, we need to make money. The problem is, <laughs> education should not be a money making venture. Period. Education should be an educational venture. And the fact that a price tag has been put on the backs of our babies, while um, while pretending that the price is to save and, and, and to uh, fight the good fight for uh, good education. And it's the, you know, it's part of how we uh, play this civil rights game now with education, you know, and, and, and the irony, uh, uh, one interesting irony about the charter school deal is, okay, charter schools supposedly started to, well, they did. Actually, the, the concept was, uh, fashioned by a teachers, un teachers union rep, a national teachers union rep. And it was uh, a learning school, learning in the sense of educators, well, let's try something different. Okay, let's do a charter. And then, oh, that works. We can scale it with your, okay. And then people who, who always see money and everything, <laughs> say, oh, we can make money off of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it became a, a mechanism for privatization. Uh, and again, with that narrative of failing schools, charter school the charter school concept grew into this is how you're gonna save your neighborhood school system by chartering out because it's failing so close the failing school open the charter school well when you look at the record the quality does not improve no uh they may there may be a couple of examples that are not egregious mm -hmm. or, or any doing the right thing or what mm -hmm. have you. Uh, but the vast majority are no better than the schools that you had. And then you've lost what, you know, somebody can call me and say, Miss Collins, you're on the school board. This is what's going on. Y'all, okay, let me call, check into it because I have that. I'm your voice. Mm -hmm. You don't have the same voice. You, we meet, people get mad with us if we change the time, which they should, of a board meeting. Do you know the time of the board meeting of the charter school? N no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, they have a board. They do meet. But mm -hmm. are, are they as transparent with their process? No. And then at, at the end of the day, what's your recourse? I mean, your recourse is, yeah, you can take your child out and bring them back to us, which is great. Okay, because and that's often what happens. But in terms of pushing for that school to be better, 
you can't vote out the board members of a charter school. It's and, and it, you know and, and so then the problem is more than just your your school choice, which is a originated as a racist term and it still is choice is still it comes from very racist of course it does okay but okay for those who you know the 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 quote-unquote new propaganda don't get it is racist okay but so you know the, the 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 bigger picture of it is you are losing democratic control the more and more you sign away uh, students to charter schools. And I think that in light of how we started with redistricting, I'm glad that you asked me that in closing. Can I tell you, it's been a much better hour this hour than the last couple of hours <laughs> that I've had. Good. This has been a very refreshing <laughs> hour. I know. I, if you're thinking like me, I get tired. I, I'm like, come on. I got to. And I, I appreciate when I first had a chance to like sit down, sit down with you. I was like, no. oh, Lord, he get it. He understands. And like one, one of my favorite things that Prophetic Voices said in the letter that y'all did in response to the business community uh, saying that we trash. And our own people can't lead us, despite their proven record. <laughs> My favorite thing that you, that you all said was, "Stop calling us a failure." Yeah. Because we're not. Yeah. You know, and when we allow people to tell us we're failures, then we allow them to give us anything because we ain't good enough. So let's take on what they tell us, and they have no intention of doing it right by us. Period. <laughs> So thank you. You're in fresh air as well. <laughs> Vice President Don Collins. Yes. Thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time. <laughs> this right. was good.